True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Oh, hello. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball Today. Frankie Stamps alongside Scott White on a Thursday, September 17th. Another late night here for the boys. But Scott, did you hear? No? You didn't hear, Scott? No, I didn't hear. Oh, oh. The Bronx Bombers are back, baby. I haven't been able to gloat all season and be that Yankee jerk that everyone's been missing. I know that Adam Azer usually holds the mantle on that, but... We're back. We, we are back, Scott. It's, well, two nights in a row, yeah. Two nights in a row. Their offense has been the headline. And the headliner has been DJ LeMayhew, I would say. I dare say. The guy I dare say DJ LeMayhew's been the headliner. That doesn't work. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, two home runs today after one yesterday. And he's now batting like 380, right? 373. 373 for this guy nobody believed could do it again. Nine home runs now in an injury-shortened year. And clearly going to be the top first baseman. I don't even think it matters if he resigns with the Yankees, you know? Like, obviously, if he resigns with the Yankees. But, you know, unless he goes someplace like... uh I don't know. I would say San Francisco, but their parks played a little differently this year. Unless it goes to an obviously bad place for hitters. I, I don't see. And even then, like who, who else is it going to be? DJ LeMay, he's awesome. He is awesome indeed. And you're right. He's betting 373 with an OPS over a thousand. I think he is definitely in the conversation to be the first second baseman drafted in 2021. I might still lean towards Ozzy Albies. You know, I'm a little, I'm a little partial t- towards Ozzy myself. But Homer. Yeah. That, obviously not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Scott. Let's get things. You know, uh, actually, let me preview the show. Let me let everyone know what's going on. Uh, we have a jam-packed show, by the way. Let's get ahead of the two start pitchers. I know we usually do that on Friday's podcast, but we had some very interesting performances on Wednesday night that are going to affect two start pitchers for next week. So we'll get into that. More waiver wire hitters if you are hurting for some for some help there. Uh, some big names are slowing down. Does it matter at all? The rest of Wednesday's action, uh, Scott wrote an interesting article about players who will be tough to rank in 2021, so if we have any time, we will get to some of those as well. But of course... Specifically hitters, 15 hitters that will be torture to rank. And there's a new one coming out, 12 pitchers that will be torture to rank. So, look forward to that. Uh, And... We've got to talk about Jose Abreu again because I don't usually get frustrated very easily, but this whole Jose Abreu situation for next year is actually frustrating me. We'll get to that a little bit later on. Oh, my good goodness gracious. All right, Scott. A Wednesday standout, whether good or bad. Maybe we start things off on a, on a positive note after Jack Flaherty's crappy start on yesterday's podcast. Yeah. Um... I'm going to go, I think I got to go with Brady Singer, who, uh, you know, last time out, last time out, eight one hit innings, 
uh, with a, I didn't write down the strikeout number, but it was a lot of strikeouts and a lot of whiffs. And, you know, where did it come from? It looked like the pitch selection was the same. The stuff was the same. He wasn't doing that kind of stuff before then. I was, I was kind of dismissing it as okay. Fluke. He had a great start, whatever comes out here on a Wednesday night and does a lot of the same thing. Six innings, two hits instead of one. Okay. Eight strikeouts, 13 whiffs on just 81 pitches. And he actually did make a change to his pitch selection in this one. He emphasized the slider more, actually threw it more than the sinker. And like of the two pitches, that's the one that gets all the whiffs. It might be, you know, if he did that in his previous start, I'd be like, huh, instead of like, nah. And now he's done it in the second start, you know, and it's, I don't know. I'm I'm uh, I'm intrigued by it, and I I presume he's a two star pitcher next week, right? Yeah, he is one of the names that I definitely want to talk about. So, yeah, let's yeah. get things started here with uh, with Brady Singer. You're right, two starts in a row now. He has been fantastic. Six shutout on Wednesday, eight strikeouts against the Tigers. It's a good matchup. 13 swinging strikes on 81 pitches. Legitimately, only through his slider and his four seam fastball. slider, 49% fastball for Singer. But his last two starts, 14 shutout innings with 16 strikeouts. He is 40% rostered on CBS. And I have the matchups for next week. As of now, the Cardinals and the Tigers. Those are fantastic matchups. So I mentioned yesterday, Jose Arquiti was... Priority number one. And I still would put Urquidy ahead of Brady Singer. Has a little bit more of a track record here. But I think after Urquidy, if you are looking for two starts for next week and two very good matchups, I am in. I am in here on Brady Singer, Scott. Yeah, he's been a good ground ball pitcher all along. That's something I, I was expecting from him coming up from the minors. Really, that was that and strike throwing were what seemed to me his two biggest strengths. I wasn't counting so much on strikeouts. And, and look, the strikeout rate after these last two starts, it's it's only so-so. It's less than one per inning. But if if he is you know, developing into something more here, that, that creates a very interesting profile. And obviously, the two good matchups coming off two great starts, I think that makes him an obvious sleeper for the final week. And even if you don't need him yourself, you should pick him up anyway because you don't want you don't want him to be used against you. I love it. I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> As someone who has put in a bunch of waiver wire claims in all of my leagues that I am still alive in, I put in a bunch of claims tonight so that I can make sure that other people do not pick these guys up and use them against me. But speaking of which, I'm going to go with, for my Wednesday standout, how about the person on the other side in this start of Brady Singer? And I actually was watching the Detroit broadcast, and they pronounce his name Tarek Skubal. Tarek Skubal. So we're going to go with that. Uh, six innings here, four hits, two earned runs, zero walks, eight strikeouts, 17 swinging strikes on 90 pitches. Also a good matchup going up against the Royals here. Two earned runs or less in three of Skubal's last four starts. He did have that clunker of a start against the Cardinals where he allowed six earned runs. That was his last time out and just two innings pitched. But 26% rostered for Scooble and looks like he's in line for two starts next week as well. At yep. the Twins and at the Royals. I know on paper the Twins look rough but hear me out. They are 27th in baseball in weighted on base average versus left-handed pitching. So I, I don't know how daunting of a matchup it actually is for a lefty in Scooble. But, Scott, if you can only choose one, would you go with Singer or would you go with Scooble? Are you even interested in Scooble? I'm interested in not letting Scooble be used against me. I'd, I'd be unlikely to start him myself unless I was just such an obvious underdog that I needed to cross my fingers that somebody would deliver two great starts. You know, every one of my pitchers would or something like that. Um, but... You know, part the reason I say definitely Singer over Scooble is because this is this is the first start where, where Scooble to me has looked like really talented. I, I I know two starts ago, uh, you know, he had a strong outing where he went, uh, he went, I think he went six strong and had six strikeouts or something like that. 
but this was, I mean, 17 whiffs was the most he's had. Recently, his changeup, you know, in that start two starts ago, it was mostly fastballs. That was the only pitch he had real success with. But recently, since then, the changeup has been playing up, and he really leaned into it in this start. It was responsible, I think, for the majority of his swinging strikes. Uh, no, he got nine on the fastball, but six on the changeup. And if he has a if he has a quality secondary pitch, pitch if he's if he has something he's confident pairing with that fastball, then we could see him uh, really begin to make some headway. It's just you know not enough evidence yet for me to throw him out there at the most critical point in the season, if I can help it. Yeah, I understand why you might be a little scared. It, I think if you just watch him pitch, you're like he has been inconsistent. There's no doubt about it thus far, but. He, he looks like he has the stuff if you just watch him pitch. I think if he can you know, keep those walks down and have just solid control again, this is uh, Tarek Skubal. Uh, I, I think that you know his upside long-term is, is pretty enticing. Some other names that I wanted to throw in this mix of two-start pitchers heading into championship week. We mentioned Cole Hamels uh, was making his debut on Wednesday, and he was at the Orioles. He allowed three earned runs over three and a third with two strikeouts, only 52 pitches. Next week, the matchups are at home against the Marlins, at home against the Red Sox. And then, Scott, you got to bring up your boy, your favorite, Keegan Aiken, who went up against... I, I hesitated giving my, oh my goodness gracious, because I kind of wanted it to be him since I've <laughs> been so dismissive of him, of him up to this point. Yeah, it was a very impressive start for Keegan Aiken against the Braves, making it especially impressive. He, uh, he, had, he had nine strikeouts and five shutout innings, only one walk and 19 swinging strikes, most of them coming on the fastball, but that's, that's kind of his profile. Like for the season, his fastball has a high swinging strike rate. And, you know, I was reading up on him in the old baseball America handbook and they were talking about how it's, they called it an an invisible fastball because he gets so much deception on it. It really sneaks up on hitters. Uh, So it's kind of the key to his success. And um, the secondary arsenal is a work in progress. The control is, you know, that's a work in progress too. But if with that fastball, it seems like there's a, a base of talent to work with here for, for Aiken. And he, uh, two turns ago, he had eight strikeouts and five and a third inning. So this isn't even the first time he's flashed it. This was just the most impressive start so far. I, uh, I can't imagine using him in the final week, but I do think he might be one of those sneaky Sneaky pickups in deeper dynasty leagues. If you're positioning, you want if you want to have some cheap keepers for next year. Keegan Aiken is eight percent roster on CBS, and his matchups next week at Boston and at Toronto. So I don't really love those matchups, Scott. How would you rank Singer, Scooble, Hamels, Aiken? I think that's the order I'd rank them in: Singer, Scooble, Hamels, Aiken. I don't. I, I wouldn't feel confident using any of them except maybe Singer. Uh, Hamels, two really good matchups for Hamels. So that might be another situation where I just don't want to get burned by this guy, somebody else using him against me in case he in case he really goes off. I don't expect him to. His fastball was down three miles per hour in this first start, and so he threw his cutter a lot more because of it. And maybe that's the formula that can work for him. Maybe he'll pick up a lot of velocity right away, but... I obviously needed to see something from him to to get him in my lineup for the last week of the season, and I, I didn't really. Some news and notes from Wednesday night. The big news, Jacob DeGrom was pulled from his start against the Phillies due to a right hamstring spasm. So this comes at a terrible time. Monitor the news, see what happens for the final week of the season. The last thing you want to do is leave him in your lineup. He winds up not starting, so just pay attention to see what's happening with Jacob DeGrom. Garrett Richards will pitch out of the bullpen for the rest of the season. He is 48% rostered. He can be dropped, especially for any of those names that we just mentioned. Not that you even have to start those guys, but again, to prevent your opponent from picking those two-star pitchers up. And Mitch Garver, ouch, this, <laughs> this, doesn't, this doesn't sound too fun. Apparently, he took one off the cup while rehabbing, and that will delay his return. So, yikes. You hate to see it. Sorry, Mitch Garver. 
Uh, speaking of the Twins, Randy Dobnak was optioned to their alternate site. He is 69% rostered, so another name that can be dropped if you're figuring out what to do with him. Uh, uh, although, uh, Jake Odorizzi, who was back in the rotation for the first time in three weeks, he left with a blister. So maybe Dobnak will be right back up. I, I don't know that we'd want to use him. Exactly. Three of his yeah. last four starts have been awful, but just worth pointing out. Teoscar Hernandez was activated off the IL. He's had a very sneaky breakout season. He actually wasn't in the lineup for the Blue Jays on Wednesday, but I imagine he will be back in there soon sneaky, enough. Sneaky breakout. He's looked like Nelson Cruz. He's been incredible. With Nelson Cruz with some steals, by the way. I think he has five steals. And, yeah, I mean... He, he's on uh, that, your list, right? He's on your list, right, Scott? He is on the list of 15 hitters that will be tortured to rank next year because he's Teoscar Hernandez. And although the data backs up everything he's done so far, it just it just feels like we we should be a little skeptical of that. And how that actually plays out in the rankings, I have no idea. I have no idea. Um, you know, if he really is this good, then he's you know, somebody who should go in the top two rounds. And uh, obviously, I don't think he should. But I don't really know who he is just because he's had an awesome two months. So I know he had a strong second half in 2019 as well, I believe, where, okay, pulling it up here, he had a, he hit 259 in the second half in 2019 with a 939 OPS, including... 18 home runs in 60 games. So uh, he is someone that can get hot in a hurry. There, there's mm-hmm. no doubt about it. But and, and I don't doubt he has power. Uh, yeah. But a lot of players have power. He has and the physical tools. Like, you know, 14 homers, five steals. Like, we've seen him have a little power-speed combination in the past. I just, sure. I feel like if this were a full season, Scott, like, and I don't want to take anything away from him because he also has a near 30% line drive rate, so... You know, again, the underlying numbers have backed up what he's done to this point. But for Teoscar Hernandez, I just feel like if this were a full season, I would imagine that, okay, the first two months were great for him. You know, over these next three or four, he's probably going to slow down a little bit. That's, you know, again, if we were playing in a full season. So you're right. Yeah. He, he is going to be interesting to rank for the offseason. Again, that is Teoscar Hernandez. Sticking with the Blue Jays, Ken Giles was back placed back on the IL with that elbow issue he's been dealing with. So it looks like Rafael Dolis will remain the closer for the Blue Jays if you picked him up. Looks like you have a safe source on your hand. Carlos Correa was back in the lineup for the Astros. Aaron Judge was back for the Yankees. He went 0-4 for 4 with three strikeouts. No surprise. Giancarlo Stanton got a day off one day after returning from the injured list. <laughs> Glaber Torres was still out with that quad issue he is dealing with. Uh, Starling Marte was out on Wednesday because he's, quote, a little beat up. JC Real Muto also still out. He's dealing with that hip issue. And the Phillies promoted one of their top prospects, outfielder Mickey Moniak. He's a Moniac, Moniac on the floor. I love it. In the lineup? He wasn't in the lineup. On the field. I was going to say on the field. On Ooh. the field. Yeah. Uh, Mickey Moniak, former first-round pick for the tw- uh, in 2016. He hit 252 with 11 home runs, 15 steals at AAA last season. Scott, any interest? <laughs> I'm, I, no. I mean, he's really he quickly <laughs> fell out of favor as a prospect after being the first overall pick, and no idea how much he's going to play here. He definitely has to show something before I have any interest in Mister Moniak. Mr. Yeah. How I wonder how this will sound. He's a moniac, moniac on the floor. You probably have go? to use the squeaky voice, Scott. Oh, or, yeah. Or is there an auto-tune voice, maybe? He's a moniac, moniac on the floor. I love it. Anyone who doesn't like the voice changer, mm, take it. Take that. They can buzz off as far <laughs> yeah. as I'm concerned. Buzz off. Uh, Scott, I don't know if you saw, but here are the players who hit a home run and had a stolen base in the same game on Wednesday night or Wednesday day. Mm. Brandon Lau. Very straight-laced there. Brandon Lau had went three for four with his 13th home run and his third <laughs> steal. I don't like this, Frank. This isn't you. <laughs> 
This isn't you. You are. I know. I'm just being spiteful for everyone who doesn't like sweet and savory. It's fine. Yeah. Well, what's interesting, Brandon Lau's somebody I put on the uh, in the list of 15 hitters too. Impossible to rank because, you know, I was all in when he was blowing up early in the season. The strikeout rate was way down. The expected stats all backed it up. And then he just went ice cold. Well, now in his last seven games, 10 for 27. This is, uh, you know, like a 400 batting average almost with three home runs and three stolen bases in his last seven games. So if he, if he finishes the year on a high note, like the issue that was going to uh, come up with Lau is, was he just incredibly hot early in the season? And if we had a chance for it to play out over six months, we could say definitively, okay, that was just, you know, that, that was just him getting really hot and he leveled off and became closer to the guy we thought he was coming into the year. Or did he just get really cold there and it was going to bounce back? And early evidence here that he's bouncing back, which would help, uh, would help with the situation at second base. Of course, it's hard to trust the Rays always with, with the playing time, but uh, the strikeout rate for the season is still much improved from last year, even with even with that recent cold stretch for Lau. So I'm I'm back to feeling pretty good as of right now about Lau. The old cliche goes, baseball is a game of adjustments. So it could just be that pitchers were pitching him differently and he had to adjust and it took a little time. He might just be a streaky player. He might be someone who, you know, goes on these hot streaks, gets a little cold, bounces back a little bit. That would make him a better player for Roto if that's the case, because obviously in head to head points leagues, we prefer a little more consistency in our weekly lineups, but uh, yeah, let's, let's see how he ends the season. But yeah, another fantastic game for Brandon Lau. Speaking of fantastic games, we had a pitcher's duel in Houston, question mark. This was a really odd one. Lance McCullers, his first game back from injury, seven shutout with eight strikeouts, 12 swinging strikes on 86 pitches, right back to the bread and butter, Scott. I know yeah. that this is something that you were requesting earlier in the season. We need more curveballs. We need more. More curveball. And four. McCullers, 47% knuckle curve in the start against the Rangers. Nine of his 12 swinging strikes came on that pitch. And I am ready to say that along with his teammate, Jose Urquidy, I think Lance McCullers can be a league winner in championship week because he is at the Mariners and at the Rangers. Uh, yeah. I, look, I mean, that's... That was the weirdest thing about McCullers is, okay, why did he go from throwing that pitch like half the time to only a third of the time? That was the, you know, obviously it's, you could attribute the struggles he's had this year to just working his way back from Tommy John surgery and maybe the command being off or whatever. Uh, but from the stuff we can easily see, that pitch selection was notable. And it was notable that he got back to it all fresh off the IL and and was awesome in those two great matchups. It would be really hard to sit him uh, looking ahead to the last week. I don't think it's risk-free. I think if you have a pitching staff stacked with studs, I don't know that you sit one of them for, like, I don't know that you sit a Tyler Glass now who I'm not even sure if he's making two starts, but let's say Tyler Glass now is making one start. I don't know that you sit him for a two-start McCullers unless unless it's a situation where you're the obvious underdog and, and just need to, to give yourself the highest ceiling possible. But I imagine if you're debating whether or not to sit Glass now, you're not an obvious underdog. So that's kind of a moot point. Even with this performance from McCullers, the Astros wound up losing this game. How, you ask? That would be Kyle Gibson on the other side through a complete game shutout. A real complete game shutout, not a seven-inning doubleheader. We're talking nine innings of shutout baseball for Kyle Gibson, nine strikeouts. And even with this game, his ERA still stands at 5.18. Also has two starts next week. He is at the Angels and going up against the Astros once again. A matchup against Lance McCullers. Does this matter, Scott? 
I think this was a total fluke. Mm. I, I've liked Kyle Gibson at times in the past because he would get a ton of whiffs with his slider. And like he and Dylan Bundy were the, the two uh, who really stood when you looked at the swinging strike leaders at the end of the year, it was like stud, 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 stud. And then there would be Dylan Bundy and Kyle Gibson there. And it's like, okay, maybe there's more than meets the eye here with Bundy. I mean, with Gibson, but that he's lost that. That hasn't been there this year. And so it wasn't in, it wasn't really there in this game either. He had 11 whiffs on 119 pitches. It's just not so great. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not interested in Kyle Gibson. We are out on Kyle Gibson not buying in on this complete game shutout. We mentioned at least TJ LeMahieu what he did in the Yankees most recent onslaught. Let's let's hit Susan twice in one in one podcast. Of all the dramatic things I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, so the Yankees had seven home runs on Wednesday night. This is the first time in franchise history that they had at least six home runs in back-to-back games. I thought that was an interesting stat. Uh, Luke Voigt hit another home run, 19 homers, up to 45 RBI. Clint Frazier, the guy is just red hot, no pun intended. But two more hits, two more walks. His walk rate is like 16 17%. It's crazy this year, the plate discipline for Clint Frazier. He hit his seventh home run. Gary Sanchez, who? It doesn't matter. We're getting higgy with it. Kyle Higashioka. What? Really? He had a triple dong, which helped absolutely nobody. Look, <laughs> if you start Kyle Higashioka somewhere, please send us a screenshot of your team. Maybe, I don't know, a, a deep AL only I, somewhere. Two cat, I don't know. That, that might be the only place you're starting Kyle Higashioka, but he did have a triple dong, so he, give he credit random, where it's due. He had a random double dong game last year. I remember having a similar... <laughs> Situ- conversation there, but obviously Triple Dong has taken it to another level. Yeah, he doesn't matter. Um, Clint Frazier, though, I mean, that walk rate was something that was showing up even way back in spring training, back in March, when there was all the talk of his new timing mechanism, that foot turned way inside. That is awkward to look at, but... It's a very weird uh, batting stance, for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's that's that that was the change he made, and... Uh, I remember, boy, this is going way back to a different world, pre-pandemic. I remember he was quoted as saying, like, like he was always, as a prospect, he was always highly regarded for his bat speed, but he always felt like it wasn't there, and now he feels like it's there. And um, obviously, we've seen the way that's played out for him. It looks like he's positioned himself to be a starter for the Yankees next year. I'm looking, it's interesting. I'm looking at the stat cast data for Clint Frazier and like his XBA X slug is basically what it was last year, even though the hard hit rate is way higher. So I wonder how that's, I wonder what that's all about. Have to look into that more, but I'm feeling good about Clint Frazier. Yeah. It's something that caught my eye yesterday as well. When I was looking into Clint Frazier, that his expected stats are not great. He still strikes out a decent amount, you know, almost 27%. But, I mean, still, he's hitting the ball harder this year. He has very solid launch angle. So, I don't know. I don't know what's going on there with the expected stats. But, look, the real stats are great. And he's still mm-hmm. just 51% rostered. The Yankees play seven games in the final week of the season. So, if he's somehow sitting out there in three outfielder leagues, even in three outfielder leagues, I think you got to get him. Because three outfielder leagues more often than not, our head-to-head points leagues, given the way that he is walking, the lineup that he is playing in right now, I think Clint Frazier is a must-own outfielder. The big dog, Garrett Cole. Were we ever really worried? No. The answer is no. no. it was the stupidest thing. <laughs> Seven innings of one-run ball, eight strikeouts, 14 swinging strikes on 95 pitches. Garrett Cole's last two starts, that would be 14 innings pitched, two earned runs, 17 strikeouts to just one walk. The ERA is down to 3.00. Anything to add here, Scott, or just Garrett Cole's Garrett Cole? He good. He good. Speaking of regression, I was going to save this for a little bit later on, but it seems relevant while we're talking about Garrett Cole. Trust the numbers, my friends. Trust the numbers. Luis Castillo, regression times two. This is two fantastic starts in a row. Good matchup, came against the Pirates, but seven shutout, 10 strikeouts, only one walk, eight ground ball outs for Luis Castillo on Wednesday night. His last two starts, 16 innings, one earned run, 
16 strikeouts. The ERA is down to 3.03. Scott, Luis Castillo. Yeah, we can breathe a sigh of relief because that, if he did not bounce back, that was not going to be a good look for us. But he did, and all is well in the world. Can we breathe a sigh of relief for these players, or should we be worried? These studs have been slowing down. And I'm looking at you, Fernando Tatis. Okay. What is going on, Scott? Another offer for Tatis on Wednesday. In 14 September games, he is batting 183. Still just a 19% strikeout rate for the month. His fly ball rate by month has gone down in each of the three. 40%, 36.5%, 30.6%. His ground ball rate has gone up in every month. 40 to 47%, and then 55% in September. Any concern here, Scott? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean... I, no, I... Is is does he deserve to be the number one pick in fantasy next year? It's just that that's the only remaining question. I was I was already on the no side before this happened because you know I expected there to be some amount of cooling off, and that's all I see this as I, the the overall like the the way he's improved his strikeout rate this year, and um, I mean the expected numbers across the board are just. <laughs> Amazing. Now they are so ridiculous. Hopefully, hopefully this reminds people why they shouldn't take Tatis and they should take Ronald Acuna first overall instead. Should they? Should they? Because Ronald Acuna is on this list as well. He's won for his last 21 with 13 strikeouts. His first 30 games, 284, 10 home runs, four steals, a 19% walk rate. 26% 26% strikeout rate for Ronald Acuna, but you have no problem. No, not really. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to set that up, but it, it we were too awkward to make it good. <laughs> That's basically the story of our podcasting life together, right, Scott? Too awkward to make it good? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, I will say, I wonder if we're in the minority. You think we are? Like, do you think most people are gonna are going to say that Fernando Tatis is should be the number one pick? I don't, I don't know. I know Chris Towers was saying that. I saw a tweet about it. Now it was a couple weeks ago. Like he was, he was just saying matter of factly, Fernando Tatis will be the number one pick next year. Because I don't uh, think he should be either. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't know. He'll be in the discussion. I, I really, I really don't know. Yeah, I'm, look, for Tatis, you mentioned the StatCast numbers there. I mean, they are fantastic. He's 95th percentile or better in exit velocity, hard hit rate, ex-WOBA, ex-BA, ex-slug, barrel rate, sprint speed. Uh, he's still a top five pick. It's. I would take Acuna ahead of him. I would take Betts ahead of him. I'd take Drought ahead of him. I mean, that's what we yeah. did. I think that's what we'd... in a Roto League, I, I might take Tatis ahead of Trout just because of the steals. I don't know how much Trout's going to run anymore, but I think they're close. I think Tatis is still a slam dunk, like top four, top five pick. But yeah, for for a for a standard roto league, I think those are the top four, the standard five by five league anyway, not necessarily roto. Those are the top four we're going to be talking about uh, in a points league. Acuna moves out of that group, and and Tatis may move out of that group too. I mean, I, I guess he'd have to if I'm taking Acuna out. When I take Acuna ahead of him in Roto, uh, probably get some pitchers higher. Uh, but Betts and Trout would definitely stay up there because of their plate discipline. Charlie Blackman, another offer as well. His first 28 games, he was batting 405, a 34% line drive rate with a 14% strikeout rate. His last 19, he is batting 176 with a 20% line drive rate and a 26% strikeout rate. Scott, Charlie Blackman. Uh, I haven't I haven't taken a look at Charlie Blackman in a while, if I'm being perfectly honest. He's not a player I expected to commit. But um Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I still think 
Like, I don't really make anything of this stretch for him, especially after he began the year so hot. I mean, obviously, he was due for a downturn, and it looks like the batted ball profile is about what it usually is. So this is this looks like just the general ups and downs of of the season. But you know that given that he's thirty four years old right now, Blackman, like it's he's more likely to get worse than better from here. Like we're probably at a stage of his career where he's going to drop a little bit every year in the rankings until inevitably cratering or retiring, whichever comes first. Fair enough for Charlie Blackman. I wanted to get to. We'll talk about Kevin Biggio at another time. Another time. There's just so much to get to. Uh, some more waiver wire hitters. If you are desperate, Cole Calhoun has three home runs over his last two games. He is 59% rostered on CBS. Uh, he has just six games next week. Jerkson Profar went two for three with his seventh home run of the season on Wednesday. He's batting 369 in September. Chris Taylor is a name that is hot right now. He went one for four with his sixth home run. He is. 43% rostered and has started nine straight games for the Los Angeles Dodgers. He has four home runs during that time. Uh, Ryan Braun hit another home run on Wednesday. He now has four home runs in his last seven games. The Brewers play eight games next week in the final week of the season, championship week. Jorge Alfaro had a double dong, 34% rostered. He has seven games next week as well, including three in Yankee Stadium. And then... I. Sometimes I don't know if we should just keep bringing names up. This is kind of how I felt with Ryan Mountcastle last week because it just we just kept talking about him, but he kept performing. Same thing could be said for Jared Walsh, who went, he had at least two hits. I'll look and see if he had any more because that game is still going on. But he just hit his seventh home run on Wednesday in his 22nd game. He is just 23% rostered. So Jared Walsh is in there. Walsh, Alfaro. Ryan Braun, Chris Taylor, Profar, Cole Calhoun, Scott. If you can only add, well, Alfaro is kind of a different, it's only if you need a catcher. But for these other hitters, if you can only add one of these guys for the final week, Scott, who would you be looking at? I actually think, even though he's, we haven't talked about him that much, I actually think it's Chris Taylor, who I believe Dave Roberts has said he plans to keep him in the lineup on an everyday basis. And we've seen him be good in the past. Certainly swinging a hot bat now at eligible multiple positions. And the Dodgers matchups, they, let me double check here. Yeah, they look pretty good for the final week, which is not something I can say for Walsh. Uh, or Braun, let me see Braun's. Braun, well, Braun's playing the most games. Braun's pretty good too, but you know he's not going to play every day. So, yeah, that's probably how I'd rank them for next week. Taylor, Braun, and then Walsh. I do think if you need specifically power, specifically home runs, then maybe maybe Walsh is the one you roll the dice on. He, six of those seven home runs have come in his last seven games. So obviously, I, there's going to be a cooling off period here at some point. But uh, I do think Walsh is capable of hitting a lot of home runs in a short period of time. And maybe, maybe he can... You know, maybe he could give you two or three next week. Scott, if you were desperate for a catcher in a in a one-catcher league, which most people probably are, I, I would eh, maybe not most. But anyway, would you have any interest in Jorge Alfaro? In a two-catcher league or a one-catcher league? One-catcher league. Uh, I mean, it would depend what what's out there on waivers, but I would imagine in most leagues there's something better. Hmm, okay. In deeper leagues, these are some names that stood out to me. If you play in an AL only, let me make sure I get that right. Yesterday, I still still thought that Dan Vogelbach was on the Mariners. But if you play in an AL only league, Jake Lamb had two more hits on Wednesday. He has five hits in his first three games with the Oakland A's, and I would assume figures to play every day with Matt Chapman on the shelf. And also, Yairo Munoz, formerly of the... St. Louis Cardinals had two hits on Wednesday with a stolen base. He has started four straight. He's running a little bit for the Boston Red Sox, so another name. Just deeper leagues, 3% rostered on CBS. Jake Lamb and Yairo Munoz. It sounds like you're saying Jay Glam. Jay Glam? Yeah. Jake Lamb. Yeah. 
it's probably just another one of those things where, again, as a podcast host, just, you know, not being able to speak the English yeah. language. All John the Carlos A's beat Stanton. writers were tweeting out, like at the same time, they were all tweeting, apparently, uh, the, the, the pitchers in the bullpen for the A's, whenever Jake Lamb gets a hit, they, they bleat like lambs. They go, bah. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't know That's why that good. was worth reporting. I guess it was worth reporting because it made Frank laugh. So there we go. That's pretty good. I appreciate yeah. that. Uh, all right, let's take a quick break here. I will just remind everyone that this is a big golf week. The U.S. Open is here, and the First Cut Golf Podcast has you covered this week for the second major of the year. The First Cut crew is coming at you with two preview episodes and round-by-round recaps after every day of action at Winged Foot. That's the First Cut Golf Podcast and is available wherever you like to listen to podcasts. So go download and subscribe today. All right, when we come back, I have who's hot and who's not from Wednesday's action, some bullpen notes. Maybe we'll get to a few of these tough hitters to rank for 2021 and to stream or not to stream. We'll do that here. Fantasy Baseball today. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property, it's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Who's hot and who's not in Wednesday's action? Mookie Betts went two for five with three steals. He now has nine steals on the season, 15 home runs. He's batting 306, 37 runs, and 35 RBI. A legit five-category contributor. No-brainer top three pick for me heading into next season. Regardless of format, Mookie Betts, he's pretty good. Mike Fires, is he good? Probably not, but he was at Coors Field. And he delivered a quality start. Six innings, one run, four strikeouts. Scott, does this matter? I don't think so. I I agree. (laughs) No trust in Mike Fires. Two words. Adam Wainwright. Scott, we were hesitant over whether or not to start him, to stream or not to stream yesterday. And he was fantastic. Once again, he was at the Brewers. Maybe he can... You know, give some pointers to Jack Flaherty on how to pitch in Miller Park because this is how you do it. Seven innings of two-run ball with nine strikeouts. Adam Wainwright has allowed three runs or less in seven of eight starts this season and sets up very well for a two-start week in the final week of the season at the Royals and versus the Brewers. I think we have another potential league winner on our hands, Scott. I love those matchups. I, I'm still undecided about whether Wainwright is actually good. It, I can't I can't call him a sleeper for next week because he's rostered in too many leagues. He's he's definitely given volume. Four of his eight starts have been seven plus innings, and seven of the eight have been six plus innings. The swinging strike rate I've pointed out before is the highest of his career. It was never that high. It's not especially good this year, but it's 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 certainly respectable. And uh, you know the results have been there, especially recently. I feel like he's stepped things up uh, in his last four four or so starts, especially. So 
I, I mean, I guess he's fine. I guess he's fine. In a two-start week, it would be pretty hard to sit him. But I'm, I'm hesitant to give a full-throated endorsement for a guy who, you know, like the XFIP is still high. Like, how much do I really believe in Wayne Wright? Not that much. But un- <sighs> there, there comes a point where you can't only recommend pitchers you completely believe in. And I think we're in, I think we're at that point with Adam Wainwright. I feel you, Scott, on the underlying numbers, but, and if the number, if the matchups were not as good, then I I would probably be closer to where you're at. But I just, again, it's, these are two teams that we've picked on all season, the Royals and the Brewers. So I, I'm going to trot Adam Wainwright out in championship week, and I, I'm going to do it with a decent amount of confidence. J.D. Davis, Getting hot at the right time, went three for four with his sixth home run of the season, including three RBI. He has multiple hits in three of his last five games. Scott, it's been kind of an underwhelming season for J.D. Davis. What went wrong, if anything? Uh, well, and he was just a he was just a little worse, especially in the ways that power manifests. The exit velocity was down a little. The fly ball rate was down. Uh, it was actually down a pretty decent amount, and it, it wasn't great to begin with. The fly ball rate—they're the—it's so, the sort of things that you can point to why his numbers are how they are. Which, by the way, they're not bad. They just obviously weren't. Um, you know, he didn't take that—he hasn't taken that stud turn. I was hoping he would. Uh, you can you can point to those stats as reason why the numbers are what they are, but you know, over time. Like those those numbers themselves can improve, and and then hopefully the production would. Like we just don't know. It's another situation where the season's going to end before I feel like I have a great grasp who JD Davis is, whether he's more the guy he showed for two months this year or for the entirety of 2019. And uh, I'm not I'm not going to be giving up on him next year. Hopefully, I can get him even later. I'd be happy to do that. I think the biggest issue for him this year, you mentioned the fly balls are down. His ground ball rate is up to 55% this season. So I think that's been you know one of the biggest issues, if not the biggest issue for J.D. Davis in 2020. Zach Wheeler made his return. Seven and a third, seven hits, three earned, zero walks, two strikeouts. The ERA is down to 2.62. It's been kind of a weird season for Zach Wheeler. It seems like some games he's almost trying to pitch to contact, but the good news about that is when hitters are making contact, he Zach Wheeler has a 54% ground ball rate this year, which is by far a career high. His K per nine, however, is just 5.9. So it's yeah. just like a weird season, Scott. It, it has been a weird season. I don't, I'm not really that concerned. Uh, I feel like I'm always bringing it back to the swinging strikes, but. He was never a big swinging strike guy, even at his best. His rate this year is about in line with where it normally is. I know the K per nine is lower than we're used to seeing it, but I feel like that would correct over time. And uh, if if he is getting more ground balls, that's a that's a positive on its own. I don't know how exactly it's affecting the strikeout rate, but I'd rather see more ground balls than fewer ground balls. And obviously, the overall results have been good. So I'm I'm not going to complain about. Anything Zach Wheeler's doing, really. And if you're wondering if the ground ball rate is legit, I'm kind of buying it because he is using his sinker 22% this season, and that was a pitch that he had not used the past two seasons. In 2018 and 2019, he did not use his sinker, and that pitch alone is inducing a 63% ground ball rate. So I think that is something that has actually kind of legitimized him as a ground ball pitcher this season. Uh, a few other names, some middle infielders. Gene Segura went 4-4 four for four on Wednesday, hit his sixth home run, two runs scored. He has an 11% walk rate this season. That's never been higher than 6% at any point in his career. Uh, he also has a career-high 34% fly ball rate. So, hey, if he's on someone's team because he's 77% rostered. So if you were starting him, congrats. He's been really good over his last 24 games here. Uh, that is Gene Skura. And then Adalberto Mondesi had two more hits on Wednesday, including his 17th stolen base. That is a 56-steal pace over the course of a full season. He is batting 269 in September. His fly ball rate is right around 50% this month. 
Uh, that was well below 40% in both July and August. So I think that is something that has helped Adalberto Montesi, who is not hot. Lucas Giolito hates the Twins. He wasn't bad. He gave you a quality start, but six innings pitched, three hits, three earned, three walks, four strikeouts. Giolito is at 3.53 for the ERA on the season, 3.44 XFIP. So very solid. But Scott, specifically the Twins have given Giolito a ton of issues this season. In three starts against them, 14 earned runs in 14 and two-thirds innings pitched. His other eight starts, which have all been very good matchups, by the way, Tigers, Royals, Ste- uh, I was about to say Steelers, Pirates, Cardinals, uh, and the Cleveland Indians. 14 earned runs over 51 and two-thirds innings pitched. I am, I think a talking point in the offseason that I will bring up for Giolito is, is he someone that just feasts on really good matchups? Or is he just really good? I, I, I don't know. That would have to be something I looked into more. You know, he hasn't. This wasn't that bad of a start. Obviously, we were hoping for more. It was a quality start. We were hoping for more for Lucas Giolito, but it's not like this was a bad start. It's not like, oh, man, I can't believe I started him kind of start. Uh, the walks have been, like, his last two starts have been, you know, not what we were hoping for, but the the walks were high in both, three in this one, four in the previous one. That's out of character for him. I don't think it's really a concern. I'd be totally comfortable and confident rolling him out Next week. Whoa, buddy. Or should we say, whoa, Bundy. What happened here? Good matchup against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Two and two-thirds allowed six runs. Five of those were earned. Two walks, two strikeouts. All six of the hits that he allowed were singles. Are you worried about Dylan Bundy, Scott? That's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. That makes me feel... A lot better. I was already going to hold myself to the standard I set after Bundy dominated last time out, where I was start. I said I was starting to worry about him. You know, maybe maybe him uh, kind of reverting to some of his old issues. But uh, you know, last start was a reminder that he's definitely changed. I'm not going to freak out every time he has a bad start. So I'm I'm sticking with that. I'm not going to freak out because he had a bad start, especially since, as you say, it's not like he was getting. Uh, Knocked around, hit out of the park, that sort of thing. Some bullpen notes from Wednesday. Rysel Iglesias picked up the save for Luis Castillo, who pitched that gem that we mentioned. It was a clean inning for Iglesias, one strikeout. And someone tweeted at us today and said, hey, can you talk about Amir Garrett, who got the save on Tuesday night? We missed that. Uh, Garrett has been great this season, but it seems like they were just giving Iglesias a night off on Tuesday because he pitched Sunday and Monday, and then he was back in there on Wednesday. So... I don't really think there's anything to see with Garrett outside of in a holds league if you need good ratios. Uh, he also gets a ton of strikeouts. Hector Neris spoke about him potentially being the closer now for the Phillies, and they just they cannot find anyone back there. This wasn't a save opportunity, but he pitched in the top of the ninth uh, in a tie game, and he allowed to go-ahead run to the Mets. The Phillies lose 5-4. to four. It's It's been Dreadful in the back end of the season for Hector Neris and Brandon Workman. Uh, for the Dodgers, Pedro Baez picked up the save. They announced earlier that Kenley Jansen would get the day off even before that game even started. So I don't think there's much to see there. Kenley Jansen's been a little shaky recently. And then Stefan Crichton picked up another save for the Diamondbacks. So, so look, still widely available if you need saves, Scott. Yes, he is. And... Yes, he is. I, I don't know that he's... That's what I said yesterday, I don't know that he's actually a good pitcher, but they really have no one else. So I suspect uh, there's a good chance he could give you... I said two or three more saves yesterday, or I'm um, sorry, on Tuesday night when he got the save, and now he's got one. So I'll, I'll still say two or three more saves from here. It's possible. All right, Scott, you wrote a fantastic article on CBSports.com, as usual. Tough hitters to rank in... 2021. I want to find out which way are you leaning on a few of these players. I guess I kind of already know which way you're leaning on Jose Abreu. But. I was conveniently leaving that out, Frank, of the article. I know that's all anybody actually wants to know. They don't want to just, you know, hear me hear me waver on players, but 
I have no idea yet. I, I'll have to dig into it to really know, but that's fine. We can do, we can do a top of mind sort yeah, of just segment here. An early feel, an early feel. Yeah, what, what is, little... what is Scott White's gut saying about these guys for 2021? The Jose Abreu thing. I just, I can't wrap my head around this. I, he's going to be 34 years old when next season starts. I get it. But there's nothing in the numbers that say he's slowing down. I, I just don't even know who you can make the argument for that, that should go ahead of him as the third first baseman off the board uh, outside of Bellinger and, and Freddie Freeman. I put up a poll today on our Fantasy Baseball Twitter account at FBT Pod. Make sure you follow us there. And I asked, will you draft Jose Abreu as a top three first baseman? 63% said no. 37% said yes. Who is going ahead of Jose Abreu? I, I just don't know. I don't know, Scott. I hear you, and that's why he's going to be difficult to rank because I don't think he's going to finish next year as a top three first baseman. I, I don't think if this season got a chance to play out, he would. There's just too much of a track record of him I mean, look at his numbers the last two seasons. He was like a 280 hitter with an 815 OPS over the last two seasons. Three of his last four seasons, he's had an OPS under 850. Now, he's, he's, he's a very stable, reliable hitter, somebody who, like, you're never going to draft to be on your bench. And, and so, you know, I'm not trying to make the case that Jose Abreu is bad, but we haven't seen him perform you know, like a top three first baseman since his, his rookie season, which was way back in 2014, I believe, is a long time ago at this point. And he's 33 years old now. So uh, I, I don't know. Maybe he's going to have a Nelson Cruz-like late career, but I'm not, I'm not willing to bet on that based on the way the last two months have gone. Uh, the, the only argument I could see for it and, and, and you make it is is who else? Who else do we have that much more confidence in Matt Olson, who I brought up yesterday, or Anthony Rizzo, um, Paul P- Pete Alonzo? Are we going to bank on him bouncing back beyond what the typical Jose Abreu season would be? I guess it's difficult to make a case for any one player, and so maybe Jose Abreu just slots in there because it's easy, you know. Paul Goldschmidt, I think maybe like Paul Goldschmidt's had a really nice bounce back season and um, it, it's become, it, it's come to look more legitimate as the season's gone on. It, like at the beginning, it was just like, okay, I could see how this line drive profile is leading to a high batting average where the power, where's the power going to come from? And he's kind of, he's kind of corrected that since then. So Paul Goldschmidt's looking really good. Paul Goldschmidt but, is a good name. That That was someone... I thought of as well. Someone left a comment on our YouTube. Feel free to interact on our YouTube, youtube.com slash fantasy baseball today. But I brought up Paul Goldschmidt. I said, well, you know, he's, he's up there in age. He's going to be 34 years old when the season starts as well. Stackcast numbers look very good. It's been a bounce back season for Goldschmidt. I'll admit I was 100. I was completely way off on Goldschmidt. I thought he was trending down. I thought we were starting to see the nosedive here for Goldschmidt, but he has had a bounce back season. I think for Olsen and Alonzo, you know, 250 to 260 hitters, lots of power. I don't want to knock that. They're interesting players, but I think Abreu just, I love what I've seen in the StatCast numbers too, so I don't know. I'm going to have him third. We'll see what happens. I did look into this. In Roto, he has finished as a top three first baseman in three out of seven seasons. Assuming that he finishes this year, he's currently second in Roto uh, in 2020, but that will be three out of seven that he's finished as a top three first baseman and a top six first baseman, he's finished four out of seven. And I know 2018, like he had an injury. It was a graphic injury too that I don't want to get into, but... Um, I mean, that's better than I thought. And I could see... How, I've made I've made this argument for Abreu before that he's kind of a player who's geared for Roto. And so maybe that's a little bit of points league bias showing for me. Uh, you know, if you're just... If you're just reducing a player to his OPS, um, you know... OPS as like is not a stat that's used in the, the typical Roto League. Batting averages, RBI, are and and those are two areas where Abreu has excelled beyond what his OPS would suggest. So maybe he's just has that right skill set for Roto. And uh, I don't know. I'll definitely. It's definitely something I'm going to give a lot of thought to. 
All right, we don't really have much time left to get to these other players. Just uh, give me a quick indication here. J.D. Martinez, guy, which way are you leaning for 2021? I'm leaning toward being very cautious. I can, and yeah. With J.D. Martinez, he's getting older, and I don't know that if it is a video issue, I don't know that it's going to be completely resolved heading in, into next year because of uh, fallout from the Astros scandal. Gary Sanchez, this is... Yikes. And after you give your answer on this, I think I found the number two catcher for next season. I'm not going to want to draft Gary Sanchez next year. But I don't see how I can rank him lower than... I haven't lined up the names yet, but I don't... I can't imagine I can come up with like five or six catchers that I'd rather have than Gary Sanchez, you know? And for the people that have been burned by him many times, I've never owned Gary Sanchez myself. So... If he's going to start to slip down draft boards because everyone else has been burned by him, I will buy the dip there. Although I, I realize how much risk comes with Gary Sanchez. The number two catcher, I think, will be in contention to be drafted in 2021 behind JT Real Muto will be Will Smith of the Dodgers, who we have not talked about recently. He is batting. When I saw this today, I had to check like three different websites to make sure that it was legit. He's batting 310 with an OPS over 1,000. In a great Dodger lineup, he's young, he's ascending, he's cut his strikeout rate in half, yeah, he's walking 18% that's, that's of the time, he's hitting both righties and lefties. Small sample caveat, but... I, I just, like, he man. plays, he has stretches where he plays every other day. You know, maybe he'll play two out of three sometimes. Like, that's that's the frustrating part with him. And I mean, the Dodgers did that kind of stuff with Yasmani Grandal when he used to be there too. So mm-hmm. it, I guess it shouldn't be that surprising. But that's that's obviously uh, that's obviously going to limit his upside if that continues. That's a fair point. I, I'm I guess what I would be hoping for is like third year in the majors, they kind of just unleash him and, and let him go. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. Fantastic season for Will Smith. Let's end with this, Scott. Thursday to stream or not to stream the must starts that I have here: Kenta Maeda, Blake Snell. Aaron Nola, and Shane Bieber. Framber Valdez versus the Texas Rangers. You getting them in there? Of course. Masahiro Tanaka versus the Blue Jays. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would. It's it's always risky with Tanaka, but they've the Yankees have shut him down the past couple days. Nathan Avaldi at the Marlins. I don't think so. That one feels risky. Second start back from the I.L. The revenge game for Nathan Avaldi. Jose Urania versus the Red Sox. No. Alex Young at the Angels. No. Griffin Canning versus the Diamondbacks. Yeah, I'm not ready to trust Canning again. Not yet. Tyler Anderson at the Mariners. Don't think so. Dakota Hudson at the Pirates. Yeah, I'll probably do that. Probably yeah. Do that. Let's fire him up. Steven Brault versus the Cardinals. Mm, nah. Seth Lugo at the Phillies. Yes. I have a lot of confidence in Seth Lugo. Casey Mize versus the Cleveland Indians. No. Oh, man. I, I, would, I will say, if you're desperate and you're trying to catch up and you're trying to make something happen, I kind of like Mize. His last start out was pretty good, and I like this matchup. Julio uh, Arias at the Rockies. Not going to do that. And by the way, he's on that list of 12 pitchers who are going to be tortured to rank next year because my gut tells me Julio Arias is really good. But you look at, you look at the stats, the, kind of, the kinds of ways I would normally evaluate whether or not a pitcher is good. Doesn't look good for Julio Arias. Last but not least, Kyle Freeland against the Dodgers. Not going to do it. Sorry. He's Sorry not going to do the it. Freeland fans. Yeah, we've been fading Freeland and Sensatella basically all season long, and they've uh, kind of thrown it in our faces a little bit here, Scott, <laughs> if we're being honest. <laughs> all right, we're going to wrap it. Stick gonna, to the guns. Stick to your guns. That is correct. He is Scott White. I am Frank Stanfield. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today on our YouTube channel. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. <laughs>
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.